1: We welcome you in to a Monday edition, a new week of Bruce Hooley shows here on The Answer on the anniversary of one of the worst days in American history. The terrorist attacks on New York City, Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the Pentagon, and the United States of America 22 years ago today. We will reflect on those attacks today and talk about what has uh, happened uh, in our country and more um, revealingly, I would say, to our country since that date. Uh, We were uh, startled, uh, horrified by what happened on 9-11-2001. We each have our own personal recollection of that day because it is one of the days, one of the few days in American history that is indelibly burned into every single one of our minds. Everybody who was alive then and able to recall that day can tell you exactly where they were, what they were doing, and how they watched what unfolded over those next few hours and over those next few days when our country uh, came to a standstill, uh, the fallout from nine 11, uh, resonates in ways that I do not think are, uh, complimentary at all, um, of our nation and how we, um, could have, and maybe should have responded to nine 11. But in that moment, uh, we were united and, uh, We are not united now. We are uh, heavily partisan now. Uh, I have said many times and firmly believe that the uh, Biden administration's unconstitutional suspension of American border policies has uh, not just invited, but welcomed a future terrorist attack into our country. Uh, Not if it happens, but when it happens, we'll be able to look back on The purposeful decision to uh, keep Arizona and Texas from policing their southern border and find that the people who perpetrated that attack didn't have to uh, fly a plane into buildings here and complete what had been a several year uh, mission to uh, wreak havoc havoc and destruction on our country, uh, but instead just walked in. And we're, in fact, welcomed in and uh, given the uh, full weight and blessing of the United States government. So we will get to all that in depth as the show unfolds today. We'll hit you with the news locally of the weekend. Uh, Finally, State Representative Bob Young has announced his resignation from the Ohio House. Uh, That happened on Friday. He's the uh, Canton area Republican who faces domestic violence and uh, charges for violating a restraining order. This is way overdue. Uh, It is something that Republicans in the Ohio General Assembly should have been more bold and more insistent on getting uh, long before it happened. Uh, Mr. Young's resignation will not become effective until, what, two, three weeks from now on October the 2nd. He says that will allow for him to be replaced in an orderly fashion. Uh, Meanwhile, he says, I will be vigorously defending myself, and I look forward to personal and legal vindication as the court process plays out. Not if you did what you're alleged to have done. Uh, We'll keep our eye on this case as it plays out in the courts, and hopefully there will not be any funny business with us. Uh, With it, we have another um, murder added to the numbers in Columbus, Uh, this one via stabbing Saturday afternoon while the Ohio State fans were leaving Ohio Stadium somewhere around 4 p.m., a 77-year-old woman named Emily Foster, who was a well-known and uh, beloved writer and editor and public relations specialist in Columbus was found in her um, condominium apartment in the 2000 block of Iuka Avenue, which is a North Campus area, uh, stabbed to death. She uh, died as, pretty much as soon as uh, Columbus fire paramedics got on the scene. People who knew her uh, and loved her, you know, speak extremely highly of her, and it just speaks to how uh, violent Columbus has become, and the fact that all the uh, histrionic uh, prattling on about getting guns off the street will not stop what is a mindset of violence in the city, because Friday night, we had a 19-year-old stabbed to death, 4,000 block of Refugee Road. I'm not saying that there would be as many murders if guns were not allowed on the street. I'm saying that the... Mindset of violence stems from a lack of consequences for criminality and that if you take guns away from people, the murders will continue. Speaking of taking guns away from people, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham on Friday decided what better way to go into the weekend than to suspend the constitutional rights of all the citizens of Albuquerque, New Mexico. If you've ever been there, you know it's a pretty big city, lots of people. Their Second Amendment right to bear arms, the governor says no longer in effect because essentially her explanation was, I don't have enough cops to arrest all the bad guys, so I'm going to take guns away from all the good guys. I know it sounds ridiculous, right? As ridiculous as suspending people's constitutional rights, which is what she tried to do. She is under fire for this. There are those who say she should be impeached over this. And they are right. Because every political office holder begins holding office after doing what? That's right. Taking an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. And this is the diametric opposite of that. So there we go. More details on that as we go. Our president will not be in New York City today where they are now reading the names of the nearly 2,800 people who died in those attacks on the uh, Twin Towers. He will not be in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. He will not be at the Pentagon. He will be napping, no doubt, on Air Force One on his way from Vietnam to Alaska. The explanation given by the White House was pretty inventive. I will allow Peter Ducey of Fox News to tell you why the president will not be at any of the 9-11 sites. The first president not to be at any of the 9-11 sites. On the anniversary of 9-11. Take it away, Peter. Our focus the last couple days has been on President Biden here in South Asia. And when I asked a White House official why it is that President Biden was here and missing the 9-11 commemorations at the attack sites, the analogy that I was given is that 22 years after Pearl Harbor, U.S. presidents were not still going to visit Hawaii. That's the explanation. I know it doesn't make any sense. Hawaii had already been events. We had already won World War II. We had eviscerated the country of Japan, which perpetrated that attack. That account had been settled. Maybe Bush is not there because he didn't want to get questions about the feckless withdrawal from Afghanistan, which is when his approval ratings began to plummet. My guess is he was not at any of the 9-11 sites because based upon what happened over the weekend with Bush at the G20, or excuse me, with, very sorry, Bush family, with Biden at the G20, and with Biden in Vietnam, they're going to do their dead level best to keep him away from any live microphone for the rest of his born days. And why would that be, Bruce? I was busy this weekend. I didn't get to hear anything that Joe Biden said. Well, aren't you lucky? Here he is giving what sounds like an Oscar speech. An Oscar speech, you say? Yes, an Oscar speech. You know what happens at an Oscar speech. You get up. You thank your... Friends who got you into show business, you thank your producer, you thank your director, you thank your co-star, you thank everybody. And then what happens? Then they have to chase you off stage with the band playing to get you off stage before you say anything more because you're taking up too much time. That is why I say Joe Biden was giving an Oscar speech. We talked
2: about, we talked about at the conference overall, we talked about stability. We talked about making sure that the third world, the, uh, excuse me, third world, the, the, the. the southern hemisphere had access to change it. Had access. To, we, it wasn't confrontational at all. You me, thank thank you, everybody. This ends the press that, conference. Thanks, thanks everyone. everyone. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Cue the band. Off stage, old man. <laughs> cut his mic. Cut his mic.
2: crazy <laughs> with every person I met with. Mr. President, are you worried about your son? Indicted
1: Mr. President. Oh, that's why he's walking off, stumbling off, bumbling off stage. And the band's playing. Nice jazz music. Everybody calm down. We are not going to ask the president about his son being indicted. We are not going to ask him about the 20 shell companies at he formed. We're not going to ask him about the we millions of about, dollars that have shown up everywhere in his bank accounts and the bank accounts of his grandchildren and his children. 25th Amendment, anybody? That was Corinne Jean-Pierre, in case you didn't know butting in on the President of the United States while he was still talking at a podium. That is an epic embarrassment. Of all the things he's done to prove how inept, feckless, unable to perform the duties of his job, could there be anything more glaringly apparent than him being played off stage by the house band And having his stooge of a press secretary who cannot utter a sentence eloquently unless it is written down for her in a binder she can barely lift. Butting in on him saying, that's it, press comes over, get out of here, bye-bye. I don't know if it's because he said third world countries and he meant to say southern hemisphere or if it's because third world is a politically incorrect term, because it might make poor countries feel like they're, you know, poor. But they basically played him off stage.
2: United 93, understand you have a bomb on board. Go ahead. Executive 956, did you understand that transmission? affirmative. He said there was a bomb on board that aircraft
0: you can't get a hold of, has he turned to the east now? He just turned to the east also. United 93, you hear Cleveland Center. We just lost the target on that aircraft. We now understand that the Federal Aviation Administration is shutting down all airport airline takeoffs nationwide. Planes that are in the air right now are going to be diverted to the closest airport as soon as possible because in a situation like this, the authorities don't know where the next one might come from.
1: Uh, That is a snippet of the air traffic control and Fox reporting with John Scott, the anchor on the morning of 9-11-2001 when terrorists attacked our country and we lost on that day 2,753 people. The uh, losses in New York included 343 firefighters. Uh, Since that date... 341 New York firefighters have lost their lives due to 9-11-related illnesses. Uh, This is uh, a bit personal for me. I have a very good friend uh, who right now is battling uh, a form of cancer that um, afflicted him in the aftermath of 9-11, where he spent uh, considerable days and many hours uh, going through uh, or being in the vicinity of the wreckage of 9-11 um, in his duties as a um, a journalist. And so this is a situation that continues to um, manifest itself in our nation, and I've seen a bunch of tweets about 9-11 today, which is appropriate. I hope we never forget that day. I think it is uh, egregious that the President of the United States is so frail and so untrustworthy in front of a live microphone that his handlers, and he is handled, he is managed like a toddler, his handlers cannot trust him to attend a commemorative event in New York City, in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, or at the Pentagon. That is why he's not going. It's not for any other reason. It's not because there's something pressing in Alaska. It's because he's inept and unable. And as I take a long view, uh, so we have a Democratic president, right? And I want you to listen to the reaction at Yankee Stadium on October the 30th, 2001. So a full six weeks after the 9-11 attacks. It's the World Series between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the New York Yankees. That's game three. And a Republican president, George W. Bush, strode to the mound in Yankee Stadium to throw out the first pitch. He was wearing an FDNY jacket with a bulletproof vest um, underneath it. Listen to the reaction that a Republican president received in the heart of the most democratic state in the country, six weeks after
2: 9-11. He threw a strike, the Holy Spirit was with him that day.
0: Yeah, he said it was the most nervous moment of his presidency, um, but he felt that power of the crowd and it made a big difference.
1: Yeah, it's an indelible image, as you hear Dana Perino, Bill Hemmer, and Frank Siller of um, the—I uh, can't remember Frank Siller's charity. It's uh, you know, It gives homes to 9-11 victims. Their commercials are on Fox all the time. It was an iconic moment. It was a moment where we, thankfully, had the right man in the job when we needed him. Uh, George Bush had a lot of malaprops, and he was uh, a guy whose uh, second term did not end well because of the 2008 financial crisis and his contention that the uh, Iraq war was about finding weapons of mass destruction, which apparently didn't exist or we could never find. But it's unquestionable that in the moment of 9-11, he captured the gravity of what the attacks meant and that he had, in his words, become a wartime president. What if something like that happened now? What if like something like that happened right now? I think the people who are executing a shadow presidency for Joe Biden—and it's very apparent he is not in control—I just played him being played off stage musically while he started to ramble at the uh, G20. Here's another snippet of uh, Joe Biden's weekend and how. In touch or not, he is with reality.
2: And the only existential threat humanity faces, even more frightening than a than a nuclear war, is global warming going above 1.5 degrees in the next 20, 10 years. And we're in real trouble. There's no way back from that
1: existential threat, global warming, more, and I quote, more frightening than a nuclear war. Now listen, I don't know if the planet could survive 1.5 degree in temperature increase in the next 20 years, but I know we'd have a better chance of surviving that than we would a nuclear war, okay? We just would. This is the person who sits in the most powerful seat in the world, Meanwhile, today, news reports from North Korea say that the personal train of North Korean, what is his title? President, dictator, king, Kim Jong-un, is transporting him to Vladivostok, Russia, where he is expected to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Yes, we have pushed... No, not we. Bush. Excuse me. Why do I keep saying Bush? Because I have Bush on my mind for nine eleven. Biden. Biden has pushed Putin and China together, and now Kim Jong Un and North Korea together. Russian officials say Kim is Kim. Uh, Kim Jong Un is going to Russia to meet with Putin to arrange for an exchange of Russian energy for tens of millions of artillery shells and rockets that North Korea has to offer based on Soviet military designs, which could be a big boost to the Russian army in its war with Ukraine. Yeah, there's no cost at all to having Joe Biden in the White House.